Hey everyone, uh, this is Adam Hamill uh, from Rock Bible Chapel. It's really great to be able to talk to you, uh, the four or five people that are probably going to be looking at this. I don't know how many of you uh, prefer to listen online, but I thought I would try making a video because, man, I miss seeing you guys, and so I thought, well, at least give you a chance to see me if you would like to. So, um, man, it's been way too long since I've had a chance to see you uh, and, and for us to hang out together, so I just wanted to let you know, um, man, third Sunday that we are missing being able to, to be around each other, and I don't know how long it's going to be, but I wanted to do something for you to make these messages in this time uh, a little bit better. So, if you are uh, seeing this on Facebook through our Rock Bible Chapel page, the post that this should be on, uh, it's also linked up with some videos. You can go ahead and listen to those and sing along with those uh, if you would like. Um, take some time to, to pray uh, as well. Um, there's a lot that we can be praying for. I think that we also, uh, we really should be praying for um, people who are facing sickness, COVID-19 and other sicknesses. There are people dealing with a lot of other, all of the normal issues and um, who are having more trouble getting care uh, than, than normal. And we can also be praying for the people who are working in, in hospitals and the medical industry. Please be praying for them, whether they're in clinics or hospitals, doctors, nurses, CNA, whatever they might be. Um, they definitely need our prayers because they are the ones that are exposed more directly than anyone else. Um, let's also please pray for those people who are continuing to keep our economy going, people who are making the food, who are involved in manufacturing, people who are involved in trucking, especially as they are having trouble moving from one place to another with restrictions on travel, people who are involved in getting us the materials, cashiers and stockers and such. So, um... Yeah, there are different people we can pray for. I know that there are a number of people that are apart from, uh, separate from their jobs now. They, they don't have a place where they can go to work. And they have been let go. This is a really tough time for them. And hopefully there are uh, some families that at least have one person that's still working. There are definitely some families that don't have uh, anyone working now. And they're probably wondering how they're going to be putting bread on the table soon uh, or toilet papers on in their bathrooms. I seem to mention that every one of these messages so far, toilet paper seems to work its way in. They're not going to get it in a couple of years. Um, but nevertheless, something very important for us to be praying for, people who don't have jobs, people who are separated from their support structures, from the uh, the places and the people that they love to see. I know that some of us are maybe introverted and may like to just uh, see um no one in general just give us a, a good book to curl up with and we'll be happy. But even so, even for the people who are more introverted, being cut off this much is really hard. And it's hard for me. I'm a huge extrovert. I I would love to be able to hang out with people and see so many of you. And it's 
hurting me not to, but, uh, yeah, we all need a lot of prayer for anxiety, for fears, for loneliness. Uh, please, please be in prayer, uh, during this time and see if there's some way that you can be an encouragement to other people. All right. With that, I want to get started on our message. Uh, if you have your Bibles in front of you, awesome. Let's turn to Psalm 23. If not, Pause it. You probably have a Bible somewhere in your house, so go ahead and find that, and um, we'll be turning to Psalm 23. It's one of the more well-known parts of the Bible. It's very familiar, and uh, you might say, you know, I'm, I know it, it's fine, but it's really worth taking a look at. Uh, so I hope that it's going to be an encouragement to you. As you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Um... Animals. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? Uh, would you say that you would perhaps be a rabbit that likes to run off all sorts of places? Are you kind of like a squirrel that is jumping from place to place, like in that movie Over the Head, just all over the place? Um, maybe you are a porcupine. You see yourself as kind of prickly, and you're like, yeah, I just generally tend to keep to myself. Or or maybe you're a, a kitten or a dog, or I don't know what you might be. When I was a kid, uh, if you asked me what I was, I would have told you one of three animals. I would have told you it was either a lion or a wolf or a tiger. Those were my three favorite animals, as best my memory serves, growing up. It would have had a hard time making a choice, but... I don't know. It's like, I would like to see uh, the lions and the wolves because they were kind of community animals, but I also thought the tiger was cool because it was fun by itself and could kind of do its own thing, and it was huge, and man, I don't know. It's interesting that I like tigers, too, because I did not like cats. <laughs> I was alert. I was an am allergic to cats, and for the longest time, up until about three years ago, if you asked me what I thought of cats, I would have just told you I hate them, just because I knew I was allergic, and I just made it absolutely clear to everyone, I don't like cats. Just keep them away from me. I, I don't want to be anywhere near them. And then I got myself a cat, and I love that cat, and my, the running joke in our family is that I love that cat more than oxygen. What are you going to do? Anyways, the psalmist in Psalm 23 makes a really interesting choice. When, if you were to ask the psalmist, who happened to be King David of all people, I mean the warrior king, King David, if you were to ask him, of all the animals out there that you could be, what would you identify yourself as? You know what he said? If I were any animal, I would say, I'm a sheep. It's really strange, isn't it? But let's go into Psalm 23. Um, I'm going to be reading out of the New English Translation. Uh, a lot of different translations are really good ones. This is one that I really like. Uh, but I hope it's an encouragement to you. Uh, read along in your own Bible as, as we go through this. Psalm 23, I'll read it all the way through first. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. Surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days, and I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. Let's go ahead and pray before we start talking about it. God, I just thank you so much for the encouragement that you give us through your word. I thank you for this chance that we have to to worship together. And I ask that you would take this psalm that many of us are already familiar with, refresh it, and renew our eyes so that we can read it in a new light. And help us, God, to rest confidently uh, in your provision, in your care, just as the psalmist does. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, Psalm 23. It's a psalm of David, right? And if you take a look at your first four verses, one, two, three, and four, um, what you will see is that David is painting for us a picture. A picture of how a shepherd takes care of his sheep. And what David is saying in these four verses, the first two-thirds of the psalm is, God takes care of me the same way that a shepherd takes care of sheep. So what we're going to be doing as we're looking through these first four verses is saying, uh, when we're looking at the picture David is drawing, we're going to be looking very much so first at how these words relate to the shepherd-sheep picture. And then we're going to take a look at how that matters to us. Sometimes we try and take the words and apply it straight to us right away, but David is drawing a picture, and we need to look at the picture he's drawing first before we see how it matters to us. So first, we take a look. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Um, so we get here right away. David saying, If I were an animal, I would be a sheep. Now, why is he saying that he's going to be a sheep? Um, like I said, I like being a tiger. I don't know what your choice was, um, but it probably wasn't a sheep. You know, you look at a porcupine. It's got its natural defenses, so it doesn't even really need to try to keep people away. You look at the, the tortoise with its shell. You look at the hippopotamus with its massive, powerful jaws. Urgh, I can take care of a crocodile like that. Or you look at a tiger, you look at wolves. There, uh, all these animals, all these different kinds of animals. Sometimes they work in packs, sometimes they don't. But they are independent. They are capable. They can really take care of themselves. Now, sheep aren't exactly completely helpless in the world. But if you were trying to think of an animal that would make you independent, self-sufficient, the sheep would probably be your very last choice. But if you wanted to pick an animal um, that was great with relationships, one that was able to remember a face or a voice for years... Or, or one that really knew how to trust. There's few options better than a sheep. David says, I am a sheep. And it's fitting for me to be a sheep because God is my shepherd. And as long as God is my shepherd, 
There is nothing that I need. I don't need to take care of myself. Because God is taking care of my needs for me. Let's take a look at how in the next three verses. Uh, Starting in verse 2. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing waters. And then, beginning in verse 3, he restores my strength. These verses kind of go together. Now, we look at lush pastures and we say... We don't really get it in much of America. Maybe people down in Southwest America get it with um, uh, the the desert climate down in Nevada and Utah and Arizona, places like that. They might get it as far as the, the desert thing goes. But most of us in a lot of America, especially Midwest and Upper Midwest, up here in the UP, we're still waiting to see our grass underneath the snow. But when the snow comes, the grass is green. And it's green everywhere. In fact, we have to buy hundreds of dollars on a lawnmower, or for some of us who have 40 acres, thousands of dollars on a tractor in order to keep it all in check. Because the grass would just otherwise grow up and there would be nothing for us. Nothing for it. It would just be a jungle of plants. Not so in Israel. Israel is in a desert climate, which is near the um, uh, the equator. Yeah, when it rained, the, the grass would come and it would grow up. There would be something for the animals to eat. But then, within a couple days, the sun would come out. The scorching sun, with scorching winds that would blow on those plants and just wither them up. And they would be gone. And to a sheep, it might look like you say, there's nothing for me. Where's the water? Where's the food? How am I going to live? But the shepherd, it's his job to know where to find the food, where to find the water, where to find shade, where to find rest for the sheep. And because the shepherd does know where all those things can be found, he says he renews he restores my strength. Your translation may say re- renews my soul or something that sounds super spiritual like that. But remember, we're sticking first in the picture of a shepherd-sheep relationship. And shepherds don't exactly restore souls of their sheep. But what they do is, a more literal translation, they restore the strength of the sheep. When it starts to falter and faint and stumble about, the shepherd's like, I'm going to take you to water, I'm going to take you to food, I'm going to get you rested, because I want you to be strong, safe, and healthy. And that's what God does for us. We might be going through hard times, we might have a hard time coming, most of us are in a hard time right now, but God works actively to provide for you, to give you nourishment and refreshment and rest so that you have strength to make it through whatever you're going through. Not because of yourself, because of your independence, because your own self-capability saying, oh, I'm so glad that I make these choices. No, it's God that gives you the strength. And it's God that gives all of us the strength so that we can make it through those hard times. Rested, refreshed, and with restored strength. Let's keep going with the second half of verse 3, huh? Uh, We'll continue uh, through verse 4. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. 
Remember, first we're going to stick into the picture, the illustration first. You might see, he leads me down the paths of righteousness. And you might get in your minds a picture of God telling you, all right, this is the most ethical choice to make. This is the most moral choice. This is the wisest choice to do of, of what to do in this mystical, spiritual sense. And I mean, yeah, kind of, that's one way to translate it. But within the picture, you get a, a more literal translation. And what David is saying is... God leads you down the right paths. God knows which way to go to find that that rest and that nourishment, that refreshment. And he knows how to get there. He knows how to, to climb up the easiest hills. He knows which ways have the fewest uh, places for you to stumble. He knows where the wolves and the lions and the bears hang out and how to avoid them. He knows what the best path is for you. And he says, sometimes you're going to be finding yourself walking through a dark place, through a dark valley. Literally, in a sheep's idea, that would be a ravine, right? With the steep walls on either side and you, you barely get any light from the sun. It's like twilight in there. And at nighttime, you get just the stars and maybe the moon comes for a small little bit of the time. But... But for a sheep, who remember, if you see pictures of sheep and take a look at their pupils, their little horizontal slits, it gives them great peripheral vision, which, ironically, like us, means it's easy for a sheep to to lose sight of what's directly ahead and get distracted by everything else. Isn't that kind of like us? And because it's got great peripheral vision, it doesn't have great depth perception. It does not have a fantastic ability to say, uh, this is what's actually in front of me. This shadow is nothing to worry about. That little dip in the hill. No, those things will spook it and it will get afraid to move on. And if you are think that you're walking through life, you run into a dark place or see a shadow or you get diverted by something shining off to the side and you say, oh, like, I'm going all by myself. Yeah, that's a scary place. But when you trust in God, and you trust His guidance, that when He says something is the best for you, you say, yes, God, that is the best for me. You will lead me down the right paths. And even if it's hard, this hard thing, this time of pain or loss, struggle, grief, confusion, anxiety, it's not catching you by surprise. You know what you're doing, God. You are caring for me. Even when we walk through the darkest valleys, We don't need to fear destruction or danger because God is watching out for us. And why is he doing it? For the sake of his name, which also really refers to his reputation. After all, um, if if I were someone who owned a bunch of sheep and I wanted them to be cared for and fed and watered, but I didn't want to do it myself, what would I do? I would hire a shepherd. And what kind of a shepherd would I hire? Well, of course, I would hire the shepherd that is known for taking care of his sheep the best. I would go to the shepherd who has the healthy flock, the large flock that everyone else trusts him with, that he never loses his sheep and they all look gleaming coats and healthy and just wonderful. I would not go to the one whose sheep are all haggard and broken down and sad and disappointed. 
He says that's how God wants to care for you. God wants you to be at your best. Not necessarily your most comfortable, by the way. He is not saying that if you follow God, you're never going to get sick. You're going to have all the money you want. You're never going to have any need. Everything's going to be easy. There's never going to be danger. No, that's not true. But in the middle of that, He cares for you. And He's watching out for you. And the question is, will you trust Him? Will you trust Him when with his rod and his staff, which some of us view as like the beating rod, if sometimes you picture that, that's not how it is. In a dark valley where his sheep can't see around it, doesn't know which way to go, and it gets spooked, the shepherd will take its rod and kind of prod it to go forward, saying, it's okay, it's okay. Or if it starts to move off to the side, the shepherd will kind of use its rod to push it back over. And because of that, the sheep knows that the rod and the staff are protecting it, are guiding it, and it's comforted because it trusts in the guidance of the shepherd. And that's how we should be with God. All right, let's keep going. Verse 5 says, You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. Now, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. What are we seeing here? (laughs) This seems like an odd thing. You, if you're trying to put this into the metaphor we are going before with the sheep and shepherd, you're probably getting a little bit confused because the average sheep does not sit down to a banqueting table, doesn't have its head anointed with oil, and is not given a, a fresh cup of refreshing wine or, or grape juice if you prefer, whatever, maybe a, a full cup. You don't, you don't have that happening to a sheep. And what David is doing is he is shifting metaphors. Because he is acknowledging that we are not actually sheep, we are people, and, and we are going through hard circumstances. We have trouble seeing God at work and letting him bless us in the way that we should. And so David switches his metaphor to help us to picture God's provision for us in a different way. Take a look at the picture that he offers for us first. Um, he, he speaks of a really rich picture. He is talking about a banqueting table. Um, uh, this is a, something you would see at a feast. This is something where you would have uh, a feast, where else, but in a time of blessing and safety and joy and peace and comfort where everything is okay, right? And I don't know what you picture for your favorite food being. I, I know that I love chicken tetrazzini. I love uh, Tamara's uh, cheesy cheddar chicken with mashed potatoes and her gravy. Oh, man, that's just so good. Almost all the desserts Tamara makes, ah, they're just everything. All this food, you can picture it uh, being laid out in this huge, delicious spread before you. And you got a full cup. So that as you're you're eating, you're enjoying yourself, you're 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 not worried about um, everything running out. You're not worried about whether or not this good thing is about to go away and being like, ah, this is a good thing that came and now a bad thing's going to come. Right? No, you have a full cup. You don't have that concern because you know that you are cared for. And when we see the idea of anointing in the idea of a feast, it. It carries the idea of being honored because oil, anointing oil, especially with those perfumes, that can be expensive. 
That doesn't come cheap. That comes from the olives that are ground and pressed until you get the, the oil coming out of it. And that takes work and effort and, and money to get. And the reason they did oil, by the way, a uh, little side note, remember, they lived in a desert time. They didn't have technology. They didn't have showers for sure. And water was oftentimes at a premium. You didn't water your lawns. You couldn't just put things on tap. Water was sometimes very scarce. And so baths were something that you did as, um, as, as something that was extra, something that was extra special and nice. And oftentimes you didn't do that. You didn't wash your hair. So your hair would get all this nasty stuff in there. And what they would do rather than washing it with soap is they would pour oil down. And and that would be something that would be specially given for a, a guest of honor at a feast to honor them. Um, but even more than honoring a person, it really set them apart. If you look in the Bible, you'll see that... Um, anointing someone is what happened for Aaron and the other priests uh, who served in the temple. You saw it for Saul and David and other kings when they were uh, prepared to to take on the role of leadership as king. It, it really pictured um, being set apart and even, in some cases, really was a picture of God pouring out his spirit to specially enable a person to do a task. Now, what are we seeing this in? What is the situation where we see the feast and the full cup and the anointing oil that's saying that you're set apart for a task? When, in what circumstances is this happening? He says, this is all happening in the presence of my enemies, in their sight. And some of us look and say, man, like, I want God to use me. I want to be there for him, and I want to enjoy his blessings, but I don't feel like I'm going to enjoy his blessings until God takes away the pain and the suffering for my life. And God says that's absolutely not how it works. He doesn't give you blessing by taking away the hardships. Sometimes he does. A lot of times he doesn't. He blesses you in the middle of your struggles. And after all, when is it that people really listen to you the most about whether or not you are trusting in God? When do you see that the most? Or when do people give you the most credence and, and listen to you? If you got a multimillionaire who stands up on a stage and says, Everyone listen to me. If you pray to God and you give a certain amount of money, then God's going to bless you and make you a millionaire like me. Some people will fall for that, but a lot of us will say, ha, no. And guess what? The Bible says, ha, no, to that too. God does bless some people with wealth, but that's not his standard operating procedure, his modus operandi. That's not it. And if you walk up to people in the prime of your life saying, hey, everything's great and all you suffering people, if you had my faith and everything would be great for you too, that's not how it is. But when your life falls apart... When you're struggling and in pain. When you are looking at your your situation uh, and, and you're saying, man, everything hurts. I'm fa facing big loss right now. But you're able to look at God and say, God is good. He loves me. He has not forgotten me. And I, let me tell you, I feel like I'm blessed by God. Not the blessing of a happy face that pretends nothing is going on, but that says, in the middle of my pain, God is still good. People 
Sit up and listen to that. You are like a, a walking advertisement for God to say, yes, even in the hard times, God cares for me. And you can have this joy too. Then let's take a look at that last verse, huh? Verse 6. Surely your goodness and your faithfulness. Stop. Faithfulness. What is he talking about there? That's a fun word. Chesed. If you're wondering what the Hebrew word is, I don't do that often, but chesed is fun to say, and it's often also a pretty big word in the Bible, because it refers not so much just to faithfulness, not so much to love. When you hear of this word, and know that it's there, what it means, and it's overflowing with meaning, chesed refers to a deep commitment to faithfully love and care for someone else the way that you promised to. And that's what God is saying. God says, I promised I would care for you. I promised I would love you. And I will do that. I will faithfully love you the way that I have promised to. Alright, so that's what we say when we see the, the goodness and the faithfulness. Surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days. Stop again. Pursue. What is he talking about? God isn't saying, hey, surely your goodness and your faithfulness will be offered to me. Free for the taking if you earn it or if you ask for it or whatever. That's not the picture David's giving here. He says God is pursuing us with his love and his faithfulness. What does he mean by that? What he means is that, what I want you to picture is, I want you to picture two armies that are fighting against each other. Like uh, Gideon's 300 people going against the Midianites of, of what, 100,000 or something like that, whatever it was in the book of Judges, that really amazing picture of something that you should never actually try as typical military strategy. Um... But but Gideon and his just couple hundred men go out and and God winnows them down from like ten thousand down to about three hundred. They take their jars and torches and trumpets and they stand on around the uh, top of them. They break their jars, they blow their trumpets, and they shout, raise their uh, torches and say, "For the Lord, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon or whatever it is." And and the Midianites. Uh, start attacking each other, they defeat themselves, and then they start running away. And what does it say that they, that Gideon's army does? That they just stand there and say, ah, oh, yay! No, it says they pursue the Midianites. They chase them. They harry them. They don't give them a moment's rest because they say, you are not done with me until I am done with you. That's what we see almost all the time in the Bible when we look at the idea of pursuit. You are not done with me until I am done with you. And that's what God is doing with you. Do you know that? God is pursuing you. And he's not pursuing you with this, this punishment being like, Hey, come back here. i got to punish you. we got to know this thing coming. No, that's not what he's saying. God is saying, I'm pursuing you with goodness and with faithful love. Picture the, the, what God is offering to David in verse 5. Remember that banqueting table, that anointing oil, that overflowing cup? Remember that? Picture God chasing after you, carrying those things on his back, being like, wait, wait, Adam, I got this thing for you. 
You don't know what you're missing. And he's chasing you. And he's not going to stop chasing you for the rest of your life, all your days. He wants you to just stop running from him. Stop running from him. Let him catch up to you. Let him bless you in the middle of what you're going through. And say, what you want have for me, God, is enough. Because what God wants for you to do is to dwell in his house. Not, not physical comforts. David himself, he was kicked out of Jerusalem by Saul before he became king. He was kicked out by his sons after he became king. He didn't dwell in, in the tabernacle or in his royal house all the days of his life, but there was not a single day, even when he was in the wilderness, even when he was on the run, there was not a single day that he was not in God's care. And the same goes for you. I want to leave you with something to know and with something to show. Um, two things, because it's important for us to walk away with, with a takeaway, something for us to, to say, yes, this is true. Uh, this, is, this is something I, I need to know. And also this is something for me to do to live this out in my life. First, something to know. God is your shepherd. And you are his sheep. You are sheep. You might want to be a raven, or you might want to be a porcupine. I don't know why that keeps on coming up. But you might want to be one of those things. But when you start trying to act like this, what I want you to picture in your mind is a sheep pretending to be that animal. Picture a sheep like me, a sheep trying to be a lion or, or whatever it might be. It doesn't work. It's not actually who you are. Who you are is a sheep, and that is the best news in the world if God is your shepherd. He wants to earn your trust. He wants to lead you and guide you down the right paths, the best paths, for what is very best for you. And when we forget that, we start running, don't we? Um... We run away from him, and because, and the reason we do that is because we forget that our God, not only is he a shepherd, he is a good shepherd. He is the one that wants us in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our confusion, our strife, in the presence of our enemies. He wants to sit on a banqueting table. He wants to honor you. He wants to set you apart. He wants to fill your cup with refreshment that doesn't go away. That's what he has for you. That's something to know. So what is our something to show? Something we can do to, to show this in our lives, to live this out. A lot of the times we act like spooked sheep. Um, we're running. We're not running to God. We're either running from something or we're running to something that is not what God wants maybe you're running from something um, what could we be running from there are three things in general that we could be running from we could be running from hurt 
There could be something that someone has done to hurt you. A pain that you have been caused that has just injured you and broken you inside. And you say, I just, I don't know how I'm going to get past this grief, past this great, this, this pain, this suffering, this loss. I don't know how I can do that. And you spend your whole life running from the hurt. Or maybe you're not running from that. Maybe you're running from your fears. You say, I'm worried about something that may happen to me. Maybe it's just in your head. Maybe it's in reality. A very real fear. But maybe your life is so defined by that that you say, I can't do anything that might put me in danger of the thing I'm afraid of. Or maybe it's not that you're running from your fears. Maybe you're not running from your hurt. Maybe you're running from your shame. Maybe there's something that you have done. Maybe you did it once Maybe it's a habit that you still can't break. But your life is ruled by your shame. Not just guilt saying the thing that I've done is wrong, but saying what has happened has made me dirty, has made me less, unlovable. And maybe that's defining how you're interacting with other people, the choices that you make, the things you do. Maybe it's not something that you've done. Maybe there's even something that has been done to you. And if so, I'm so sorry. But there are people who are hurt in such a way that they're not just saying, I'm feeling lost. Maybe they're saying, because this thing happened to me, I am less. I am unlovable. And if that's so, Let me tell you, you don't need to keep running from those things. God is your shepherd. He is the one that leads you through the dark valley to places of refreshment and joy. Or maybe you're not running from something, maybe you're running to something. Maybe what you're running to is something that you think might, might give you what you need so that you are finally happy. Maybe you're running towards something that promises security. Toward um, a a 401k. Toward a retirement plan. Toward a, a great job. Toward a, a, a better house. A more reliable car. The, all good things. But maybe those that security you're chasing has become your driving force. Where you say, this is it. Everything I do is pushing me towards this security. Or maybe you're looking for something instead to to give you a feeling of love, of belonging, of importance to someone else. Maybe you're looking for that in uh, a marriage. Or uh, uh, in your children. Maybe you're looking for that in trying to, to find the respect of your parents. Or, or maybe you're looking for that in all the wrong places. Maybe you're looking for that in, uh, in unhealthy relationships outside of your marriage or on the internet or, or in a, in some other place. Where are you running from? 
where are you running to? There are things that are good to chase in life. There are things that are bad. But even the good things, even the best things this world has to offer won't be enough. Because ultimately God has made you and me to chase after him. And guess what? He says, when you chase after me, not Adam, God, when God says, when you chase after me, I will fulfill all your other needs. I can give you security, even if you lose what you thought you needed for it. I can give you love, even if you have lost it or you can't find it where you thought you needed it. God says, I can lead you down the right paths. I can refresh you. I can protect you. I can be your comfort. So I want you to take that picture that is left with you in verse 6, where God is literally pursuing you, harrying you, not giving you rest, because he wants to give you his faithfulness, his love, and his goodness. Guys, so many of us are running. So many of us have been running our whole lives, even if we have trusted in Jesus. Even if we know that because of Jesus dying and coming back to life, he gives us eternal life as a free gift. Let's say we've trusted that. And by the way, if you haven't, that is the first place to start. We don't go to God first for a new car. We don't go to him first just for a... a, more security or nice feelings. Your first need is to know that God will give you life that never ends. Not because you earn it, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus deserved it. Because Jesus earned it. Because Jesus says, and you trust in Him, then His death is counted for your death. His life is counted for your life. And you can stay Live with him forever. But even if we have trusted in that, even if we know that that is true, we have accepted that because we said, yes, God, I've trusted that, we might be still chasing after so many other things for security, for love, for meaning, for purpose, for a legacy. I don't know what. And what God is saying to you Maybe even right now when you have lost some of the things that you've depended on or when the things you've depended on are in danger of being lost, God is saying, will you stop running from me? Will you let me catch you with my love? That's what God wants for you. I'd like to take some time just to to pray together. Uh, So I'm going to lead you in a a thought and an idea. And what I want you to do is I want you to just, with eyes closed, just just pray and tell God in your own words um, your answer to these questions. All right? I'll ask you, and you answer them talking to God. First question. um, What are you running from? Maybe it's a hurt. Maybe it's something you're afraid of. Maybe it's something that you're ashamed of. 
What have you been running from in life? And how have you been hiding? Next question. What have you been running to? What have you been chasing in order to finally get what you thought you needed? Maybe it's retirement, maybe it's toys, maybe it's more time to to be off and, and do what you want to do to just rest and relax and vacate your mind, vacation. Maybe it's a relationship. What have you been running to as your ultimate Now I want to ask you a deeper question. I want you to to imagine something, if you would. I want you to imagine that that thing you are running to, that you never get it. Or that thing that you've been running from, I want you to imagine that it catches up with you. That kind of worst case scenario. I want you to imagine that. And then I want to ask you, what would happen if that was true? If what you're running from catches up to you, if the thing you're running to, you never find, would you walk away from God? Would you feel like God has abandoned you? Because if there is something on this earth that can drive you away from Him because you really ultimately are using God to get that thing. I'm not saying that you haven't trusted in Jesus and you're not going to heaven. I'm not saying that. But maybe there's something that has come between you and God and is a wall that keeps you separated from Him. So with that in mind, I want to ask you, how would your life change today if you trusted that God knew your best better than you did? How would your life change if you trusted that God knew what was best for you more than you did? If you knew that whatever happens, He's leading you down the right paths. And you can trust Him. How would your life change if you knew that that was true? How would your attitude change even when the world fell apart around you? Now with that, I'd like to to ask you as we close this, Take the rest of the day to thank God for being your shepherd. Because he is. And in whatever area that you've been discussing with God, choose to trust him with that today. Choose to pursue him first. And the other things, second. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you relentlessly pursue us. 
that you pursue us with your love, with your goodness, and with your faithfulness, that you harry us, you don't give us a moment's rest, and you will keep chasing us your entire, our entire lives with that banqueting table on your back, just calling for us to stop running from you. God, we trust you that what you have for us is what is best for us. Help us to trust you more, starting today. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name, and for the sake of his reputation, his name, that we pray. Amen. See you next week.